Amen. Let me invite you to stand now as we turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. So we're in a series on Isaiah, and we're in Isaiah 9 this morning, and I'm going to read to you verses 8 through chapter 10, verse 4, and you're going to hear the repetition of a phrase, for all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. You're going to hear that four times. Think of it as the chorus to a song and a theme that's in this passage. And so we'll begin in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8. Hear God's word. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel, and all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, who say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and an evildoer in every mouth speaks folly. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burns like a fire and it consumes briars and thorns. It kindles the thickets of the forest and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another they slice meat on the right, but are still hungry. They devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim, and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain for all this. His anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. Let's pray together. Lord, in this passage of Scripture, which we know declares to us the seriousness of sin and the fury of your wrath and anger, help us to navigate by your spirit the truth you have for us, that we together as your people might rightly reflect your image in the world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So as I read that passage, I have a question to ask you, and the question, it's somewhat of a trick question, so I'm kind of warning you here. How stubborn are you? That's the question. Notice how stubborn are you? I'm not asking if you are stubborn or not. I'm asking to what degree are you stubborn? In other words, to what extent are you willing to change your opinion, to change your mind? How much does it take for you to extend and say sorry to someone? To what degree does God have to put pressure on you to where you will finally change to that degree? That's the degree that you are stubborn. And I ask you that question because you can tell from this passage there's some real spiritual stubbornness. It's a serious issue. If you look back to chapter 9, verse 10, you see Israel's stubbornness come out here. The bricks have fallen, so God has torn down the bricks. Now they're stubborn because they're saying the bricks have fallen. They're not saying that God has done this. And then they say they're going to rebuild with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, and what will they do? Out of their stubbornness and out of their rebellion, they're going to put cedars in their place. It's as if they are saying to God, you can do that, but we will do better over here. It's a display of stubbornness, isn't it? And in fact, God calls his people stubborn in chapter 30 of Isaiah there's the expression, ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit. And he does it again. Israel is, in point of fact, God's people are stubborn, just like us. And you see it again in Isaiah 46, verse 12. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. So how stubborn are you? And of course, by now you know, the more you insist that you are not stubborn, the more you authenticate that you are. You know, that's how that works. Well, what, what do we do in the midst of our stubbornness? What do we do in the midst of our hesitancy to change? What could have gone differently for Israel here. That's what's outlined here for us in this passage. It is a prescription for the stubborn. For those of us who are determined not to change, this is the pathway to change that's outlined for us here. And it begins with repentance. It begins with repentance. And there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along. But this is what Israel should have done. This is what we do in those moments that we find ourselves stubborn and resisting change and resisting especially godly change is what's at heart here. And I've shown you Israel's stubbornness there in verses 10 and 11. And we see that because of this resistance to repentance, to changing, verse 8, the Lord has sent a word against Jacob, it will fall on Israel. So this is the future already predicted. God has judged them because of their stubbornness. Part of what fuels 
stubbornness if you struggle with this, and we all do. Part of what fuels our stubbornness, look at the end of verse 9, it's our pride and our arrogance of heart. Pride can be defined as thinking a lot about ourselves and thinking little about God. And that's what's happening here. So they declare that even though God's going to bring this judgment in the form of exile, in the destruction even of Jerusalem, their beloved city, the bricks have fallen, they're going to rebuild it better, they claim. Uh, what does God do? Verse 11, God can outstubborn our best stubbornness. And that's exactly what he does. Look in verse 11, the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies, uh, resin the king of Syria. At the time, verse 12, the Syrians on the east, the Philistines on the west, they are surrounded by their enemies and they are ready, look at the end of verse 12, to devour Israel with open mouth. You know, what do you say if you have a very nice piece of cake or dessert and it disappears from your plate? You have devoured it. And that's the imagery that's used here. God's judgment comes in this form of devouring and consuming them, and, and that's one of the themes here in this passage we'll come back to. And then we get that declaration. You heard it four times. Look at the end of verse 12. For all this, his anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So Israel is stubborn, and as I've said, God's going to out-stubborn their stubbornness. He is more determined, more persevering for the sake of his mercy and his love and his grace. He's going to outlast their stubbornness. And the display here is his anger has not turned away. His hand is stretched out still. And of course, what's important there is what's the this? Because that's given the reason. That's the reason why this is happening. Do you see that at the end of verse 12? Four all this, in other words, because of all this, since all this. Well, what's the this? That's an important question. As you think back to your grammar school days, that is a, I think they call it a demonstrative pronoun, uh, for all this. So what's the this? Well, it's everything that has preceded. Remember, there is, as it were, in, Israel, uh, in Isaiah, a lawsuit leveled against Israel for their sin. And we saw that in chapters 1 through 5. So that this is everything Israel is pursuing and doing that is against God's will and way. But the this also refers in the near context to the fact that God will, whatever is proceeding in the, whatever is in the preceding verse. So that would that this would refer not only to Israel's sin, but specifically to the fact that God will cause, in verse 12, that judgment to fall, but the judgment does not satisfy his anger fully. Do you see that? The judgment does not satisfy his anger fully. And then look in the first half of verse 13, and this is, this is the point here. The people did not turn to him who struck them. They didn't turn. Repentance is turning away from our sin to God. And that's the problem here. Even though God has put pressure on them, leveled 
their city with his judgment, and he is just to do so because he is a holy God, they still don't turn. That's how stubborn they are. That's how stubborn we are. Repentance is a turning away from our sin to God and endeavoring to live differently in the future. And so this idea of repentance, it's the way out from the stubbornness. It's the way out from God's judgment is to turn from our sin to Him. Now, a couple years ago, I fell off a ladder. I'm sure a lot of ladder falling is going, going on right now with all the tree trimming. And so it was an aluminum ladder. I wasn't doing anything stupid, so stop thinking that already. Let me tell my story. And so the, I was on an aluminum ladder, and at the base of the ladder, it torqued. And in, in other words, the ladder failed, and I went uh, flying down. It wasn't far. I wasn't hurt that bad, so I'm sorry to disappoint you on that. But the, my, my leg, what really hurt my leg, the shin, must have hit the ladder when I landed. And I had, and I think it's the medical term for it, a goose egg. At first, I thought I broke my leg, but, you know, if you've broken bones, if you're wondering if you broke it, yeah, you probably didn't. You know. And so I, I, I kind of knew, okay, this is, this is bad. It hurts, but it's not that bad. It's a goose egg. And so what do you do? Well, you know, you put ice on it, you elevate it, you do all the goose egg things, and, you know, what was interesting about this one, it didn't go away. It didn't go away. So, you know, when you're desperate and you have a medical situation, you go to Dr. Google, right? And so I went, I saw Dr. Google, and, you know, by the way, he's getting less helpful every day. And so I go to Dr. Google, and it confirmed what I was already doing. You know, ice, ice rest, elevate, do the, do the whole thing. So finally, you know, after about another week, I'm desperate. So actually, what do you do when you're really desperate and Dr. Google lets you down? You go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor. He takes an x-ray of my leg. Turns out it's a hematoma. And he said, this thing is not going to break up if you just keep putting ice on it. He gave me some antibiotics. He said, you got to put heat on it. And sure enough, most of us don't follow what doctors say, but I made an exception. I was desperate. Put the heat on it. Man, that thing broke up. And I tell you that story to say that you notice prominently here in Isaiah 9, prominent is the anger of God. For all this, His anger and that makes people feel really uncomfortable because they sort of envision in their sky an angry grandpa figure who is punishing people and is angry. And people really have a problem with that. In fact, the first heretic of the church, Marcion, in A.D. 125 said that God was, there's two different gods in the Bible the God of the Old Testament is the angry one, and the God of the New Testament is the loving one. That's what he said. That's a pretty popular heresy even to this day. 
But I tell you that story about me going off the ladder because it is the heat of God's anger which really helps us understand the glory of the gospel. What I'm getting at is if God is not holy, if he's not really angry at our sin and our stubbornness to resist his ways, then the gospel isn't really that good. In this passage, which has so prominently displayed for us the anger of God in an unrepentant people, helps us to understand better the glory and grace of the gospel. In liberal churches where you don't have an angry, wrathful God, I'm here to tell you, if we won't portray that, whether we're in a liberal church or sort of a contemporary megachurch type situation, if we won't talk about the anger of God, then how can we talk about the glory and goodness of the gospel? If you aren't really saved from anything, then the gospel just isn't really good news. And so you understand here that by looking at an Old Testament passage like Isaiah, where so prominently displayed for us this anger of God and the need to repent, the need to turn, the people did not turn. That's their problem. Let us not be like those people. In repentance, we find life. In turning, we are welcomed back in Christ. The anger of God, of course, would only be satisfied ultimately through Christ. And so a passage like this points to this unbelievable wrath and anger of God due to us for sin. This is justice. This is right because He's a holy God. And it points to the suffering Savior of Isaiah 53. This is the only place God's anger can be dealt with. And all his anger fell on Christ at the cross. That's good news for the Christians among us because we know that God isn't angry with us anymore. If we place our faith in Christ, God's anger fully satisfied at the cross. Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. And it is the heat of his anger against sin which softens our heart, breaks up our heart as we come to him in repentance. And so, repentance is the way out from our stubbornness, that turning away from our sin to God. But there's another thing here in this passage that Israel should have done And that is, in the second half of verse 13, inquire of the Lord, to inquire of the Lord. Who they inquire of is seen back in chapter 8, verse 16. They're inquiring of the mediums and the necromancers. Now, to inquire, we might kind of think that's to ask or to consult, but it's closer to the understanding of seeking. Seeking the Lord, and of course we're commanded to seek first the kingdom of heaven, to seek God, to put a priority on Him, to have all our goals in every aspect of our life oriented in a way that gives Him glory, the glory and honor that are due to His name. And what we see here in the second half of verse 13, they're not inquiring of the Lord, they're not seeking Him. 
They're not asking God to weigh in on their decisions and to guide and to lead them. So as a result, look at verse 14. The Lord has cut off from Israel head and tail, and we're told who the head and the tail are. Those are in verse 16. Those who guide his, uh, excuse me, verse 15. The elder and the honored man is the head. The prophet who teaches lies is the tail. They have been led poorly because good leaders would have led them in repentance and would have led them in seeking the Lord and putting priority on Him. Look at verse 16. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray. Those who are guided by them are swallowed up. That's that language of devouring uh, that takes us uh, back to verse 12. And so, the Lord, what's going on here? Verse 17, the Lord does not rejoice over their young men. And then two categories of people that God is always compassionate about, the widows and the orphans, because they're in the most vulnerable place of society. How bad is it? Look at verse 17. He has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. Because of their collective sin, even this protected category, vulnerable category of people, the fatherless and the widows who are afforded the protection of God, are not. Because of their sin, their refusal to seek Him and to inquire of Him. Look at the last part of verse 17. For everyone, this is a pronouncement, could be true in 2023, couldn't it? For everyone is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. And then we get the repetition. For all this, his anger is not turned away, his hand is stretched out. Still, and this is the way that Israel has sinned, but it is also the fact that they are, have followed uh, poor leaders, and they are godless and speak folly, and for that, God is judging them. Now, this idea about inquiring of the Lord, putting a priority on Him, seeking Him, is illustrated when people move to Bernie, Texas. And I know a lot of us have moved to Bernie, Texas, and that's fantastic. Come move here if you're listening to this recording or online. We'll build the house for you. Uh, so, well, someone will, and uh, you're welcome here. See, I'm in the people business, so more people is just great. And, you know, we're all in the salvation business, so to speak, so more opportunity, yes. But anyway, uh, when people move here, and, and you do this and I do this too, what do you do? I mean, you're buying the most expensive thing you have ever purchased, a house. So what do you do? Oh, you research, don't you? You go to Realtor.com, and you research, and you look at all the pictures, you study the pictures, and then you go to uh, the tax rolls, and you see what's the values in that area, and you talk to different people, and maybe even you look at the satellite views, you know, what's around that property, and then not only do you look at the satellite views, you also research the schools. What are the schooling options, and uh, what's... 
what's the shopping like and what's available in the community and uh, you might research what kind of uh, commute you would have from that new location maybe even drive it you kind of stealth drive it you go to the and then you leave at the same time see what your commute's like we do all this research right but we've never asked the question how will my family be spiritual spiritually nurtured in that new community we don't oftentimes seek the lord that way research well where am i going to go to church what kind of faith community am i going to be part of how will the lord nurture me spiritually now some of you i know when you moved here i met a few people like i i would meet the husband first he was like the scout for the family kicking the tires on the church that's as it should be that's as it should be yeah i'm just visiting here this morning and assessing how his family is going to be spiritually nurtured and then then the family would eventually come a few of you are in that situation and i'm no doubt god in his providence can make a move to a new community serendipitously work out for sure but this idea of seeking the lord now think about it some we have some that are graduating from high school and they're thinking about going to college or they're looking at different colleges and it's important to look not just at the cost of the college that's kind of a priority right not just the cost, not just the education, not just the collegiate community there, but where will you be spiritually nurtured in that new setting? And to have that way in, not just on the looking to the goal of the piece of paper you get at the end, but where you will end up spiritually. So that's important for colleges, it's important for jobs, it's important to think through spiritually, not just the financial end of things, whether it's looking at a house or a job, but the spiritual side of things. And by doing that, we are seeking the Lord. We're inquiring of Him what Israel failed to do. And so how do we deal with our stubbornness? How do we work against that? It's repentance inquiring of the lord it's also giving up it's giving up and you see this in the next part of the passage verses 18 through 21 and we see in verse 18 this is a reversal of the old testament sacrifices the old testament sacrifices which were a pleasing aroma to god look at this in verse 18 it's a reversal for wickedness burns like a fire it consumes briars and thorns it kindles the thickets of the forest and they roll upward in a column of smoke it's a portrayal of destruction that is this pathway of unrepentance and the wrath of the lord of hosts verse 19 consumes the people they are like fuel for the fire and look at this in verses 20 in verse 20 they slice meat on the right and think of meat here as, you know, it's a culture of scarcity in the ancient world. Meat, good source of protein, fat and calories. So they're eating well, but verse 20, they're still hungry. They devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each and then this 
need to be satisfied turns on themselves. Verse 20, each devours the flesh of his own arm, and then it plays out with Manasseh and Ephraim likewise in the way that they move against Judah. And the idea here is I'm not encouraging, when I say give up, I'm not encouraging you to be a quitter. Not encouraging you to be a quitter. But here's the thing. This is the wisdom of God. When we are spiritually stubborn, we need to understand we're going up against somebody who can outlast our stubbornness, who can out-endure our best endurance. And so when life doesn't satisfy, if we are producing, if we are pursuing endeavors that don't satisfy us, that we would have the wisdom to stop, to stop pursuing that which doesn't satisfy and grab onto that which does. Giving up that which doesn't satisfy is an apprehension of who God is and who we are in submitting to Him. And so, so far, what you've seen in our most stubborn spiritual moments We repent, we inquire of the Lord, we give up those fruitless pursuits, and then finally we find refuge, and that's in the four verses, first four verses of chapter 10. We get a woe pronounced, and those are usually reserved for the worst situations, and we see one in verse 1, we see one in verse 5. In chapter 5, we had six woes pronounced. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees. So those who make that which is sinful lawful is a way to interpret that relevantly to our own age. The writers who keep writing oppression. And the sum, the whole sum of the matter here is in verse 4. Nothing remains. If we continue to resist repentance, if we resist seeking the Lord, if we continue to pursue that which doesn't satisfy, if we won't give up, verse 4, nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. Wow, what a hopeless, despairing picture that is. But that is what happens if we go up against God and think we can outlast Him. And the passage ends with that call again. For all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. The only way to find salvation is through the suffering servant, who Isaiah will tell us about in Isaiah 53. Jesus Christ is the only one we can turn to where God's wrath will be. Propitiated. In other words, that's a big theological word to say that Jesus satisfies God's divine wrath such that he is not angry with his followers anymore because we have turned to him. With his anger fully satisfied, we are reconciled to him. And we see here in this passage this pathway for us instead of stubbornly insisting. It's a call to do that which Israel doesn't do, to repent, to inquire of the Lord, to give up that which doesn't satisfy, and to find refuge only in Him. Let's pray together.
Oh, Lord, how we ask that indeed you would help us to be a people who are willing to change, willing to repent, willing to seek you. Wherever we haven't put the priority on you, we pray you would encourage us to do that. Remind us that our stubbornness is no match for your grace and mercy. And by doing so, we pray you would help us to give up those pursuits which don't satisfy and to find refuge only in you. And so we thank you for this portrayal that we might not go the way of your stubborn people, but we might turn to you and find in you the wonderful grace Hope and joy we have through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.